0: Today on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we have our friends, Kelly Crandall, she of fine NASCAR reporting for Racer Magazine and racer.com, and Chris Medland, he of waking up in the very early morning and writing stories about Formula One drivers leaving in the middle of a shutdown or choosing to drive elsewhere once this season is over, doing all this for Racer as well. I'm Marshall Pruitt. This little conversation is brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Kelly, I figure we should start with you because you were one of the world's finest reporting unicorns last weekend covering a NASCAR race at Darlington with no fans and sequestered among some other reporters. I don't even know where to start, but I do know that NASCAR was the first major racing series to go back to racing. Tell us what it was like waking up, getting ready to go and cover this event and what it was like rolling into this. I'm guessing really strange, strange experience.
1: Well, thank you. Can I put finest reporting unicorn or whatever it was that you just said on my resume?
0: 100% Absolutely.
1: <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Um it was. It was a little weird. Uh, not as weird as I expected it to be. So, you know, certainly with race day, you wake up excited. You, I normally wake up pretty early because you like to beat traffic and you just have your routines. But, you know, Sunday was, of course, different. You know, I knew there was going to be no traffic. Everybody had staggered arrival time. So I did not have to be at the racetrack for my screening until 1 p.m. And, you know, the race kicked off shortly before 4 p.m. Eastern. So made my way to the racetrack, was very, very weird not having race day traffic, not going past the campers and the tailgaters uh, on the side of the road and all the parking lots. The way that you drive into Darlington, the way that it's set up, you're driving past all of that. You're driving through crew members walking in from where they've parked. You're, wa- you know, you're going through a maze of uh, just gates and checkpoints and all this stuff, and it's normally very, very congested. Uh, So there was none of that Sunday and and drove right up to the screening process. And they had already had all my waivers and all my questionnaires. So they took my temperature, gave me my little sticker that said I was essential so I could be there. And then it was straight to parking behind the press box and sitting in the press box uh, for the rest of the afternoon and and into the night. So uh, that was different, very, very different. You know, When I got to the press box and I started looking out you know, across the infield and looking at everything set up, you know, you could trick yourself into believing it was just like any other race weekend, because the way in which they had spread everything out, of course, to keep everybody distance, the infield still looked fairly packed. Uh, Plus, you had everybody's personal vehicles, because drivers were driving themselves to Darlington, crew chiefs, uh, you know, spotters, everybody was driving themselves down there. So you had that, you had motorhomes, you had all the haulers spread out, and on top of your typical safety equipment and things like that. So if you stared hard enough, you could trick yourself into believing it was uh, just like any other weekend. But then you look at the empty grandstands and you look at spotters uh, spread out across the front stretch grandstands. And uh, moments like that brought it back to just how different and unique it was. Um, when, you know, During the race, racing is racing at the end of the day, as I wrote in my column the other day for, for our website. Uh, so, you know, during those three, three and a half hours, nothing was really different there. And then, you know, the awkwardness and the weirdness was brought back after the race was over because I'm at a racetrack, but I'm not hustling down pit road or standing in the bullpen waiting for drivers. And it's very, very quiet. And, you know, Kevin Harvick's interview does not have that background noise of, of the crowd cheering or booing or whatever they would be doing. So that was different. Um, and then, yeah, and then, to like I said, you know, to sit at a racetrack and to be doing stuff through the computer was uh, definitely something that is taking time to get used to, for sure. So a little bit weird, but again, there was still some normalcy there of, you know, racing and going through all those processes and just different things I do in terms of my coverage. But um, definitely a unique, weird, uh, historic day, I guess you could say, and uh, was very interesting to be one of the few who was there.
0: So, Kelly, one thing that I think would be fascinating to learn could benefit Chris and I and and other reporters, at least in the no fan era of motor racing, and that is you were allowed, along with uh, just a tiny number of other reporters, to be on site, chosen ahead of time. You were told you will be sitting in one place, you will not leave You will not be going down to pit lane into the garages. This is something that I know IndyCar is going to do when they return here at Texas. Same exact process sitting above the grandstands, uh, everything that you went just did at Darlington. And I'm guessing you're going to do here again uh, in a day's time. Um, I don't know exactly what formula one will do when Chris gets back to reporting at events, but share what it was like doing or being unable to do the one thing that I believe makes each reporter somewhat unique. And that is to interact, to be at a track, to have a question. Hey, I saw that this thing might've happened. Let me go run to the crew chief and get whatever insights I might have. My might be able to bring based on my relationship or a driver or an official or whomever, the ability to be at a track and interact, gain insights from interpersonal communication. That's the core of what makes your report different from another person's report or whichever story you might file during an event. What's it like not being able to do kind of sort of the core thing that makes us unique?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you're exactly right. I, I, you know, long ago, when we all started to realize that this was going to be the world uh, in which we were going to do our race coverage in the sense of everything is done remotely. NASCAR is using teleconferences or Zoom video conferences. So, you know, long ago, I accepted the fact that everybody is going to have the same thing unless you can use the telephone or your email to get in touch with a team or a driver to, to try to get a different angle or a different answer or whatever it may be um so that is different that is very different than hustling down pit road after a race because i'm one of the the few people that after every race is on pit road i never ever stay inside the media center if i'm at the racetrack because i believe it's my job to go out there and get that content for myself so sitting in the press box um and at darlington the press box is over in turn three um uh, it used to be what was turn one when the when the track was flipped, uh, but now the way in which the start finish line has been moved, the press box is in turn three, so you can't see pit road, so you can't see pit stops, so that takes another part of the equation out of covering the race. You can't see, you know, Kevin Harvick doing his burnout and doing his interview. Um, so you're right; it, it's very different sitting there and waiting to go on a Zoom video conference to talk to drivers. Just for some background for people who are interested in how this is working in the NASCAR world is NASCAR is using Zoom video conferences after the race. And we are talking to the top three drivers. So we get the winner, the winning crew chief, second place and third place. Now, the manufacturers are doing what they can. Toyota, Ford, Chevrolet are Uh, were tremendous Sunday in sending out a, uh, a quote sheet from drivers throughout the field. Team Penske was tremendous in offering up all of their drivers, including Matt DiBenedetto from Wood Brothers Racing, on their own Zoom video conferences. So there was still plenty to work through after the race. It's just all done remotely. And again, for me, actually being at the racetrack and not working from home was very, very weird. To sit in that press box and look out across the racetrack and and be doing everything via a teleconference or a video conference. So that's how it's working over here in NASCAR. You know, it was only four of us in the press box. That is a number that apparently has been determined by NASCAR that it was four reporters at Darlington and it will be four reporters for the races coming up in Charlotte. And you know, kind of just some, you know, behind the scenes here, again, for people who are interested is uh, there is a local representation at the racetrack for that market. The Associated Press will have representation. And then the National Motorsports Press Association is actually picking the other two reporters who go to these races. So, uh, that is how I wound up in Darlington. There's different representation tonight as we speak for the Xfinity race. There will be a little bit different again tomorrow for the second cup race. And we're trying to rotate as many as many media members through and, and different things. So that's kind of a behind the scenes of how it's working. But to your point, Marshall, it's, it is. It's very, very different when you're actually at the racetrack covering that event and you can't go and have any personal interaction.
0: Chris, we need to get you signed up the uh,
2: NMPA oh. here.
0: So they might rotate you in
2: for a cup race. That'd be a blast. Um, uh, I'm already part of it. I, uh, I actually got the email that said, uh, do you want to like, you know, asking every member to uh, put their names forward if they wanted to be considered. And I thought mm, probably a bit of a stretch. <laughs> well,
0: I still need to sign up. So I'm a little bit lax there. Does any of what Kelly has shared, Chris sound like what you've heard might be the action plan when grand prix racing gets going again and what you might be uh facing in terms of doing your on the ground job
2: actually no uh because the initial uh sort of feedback we got was that there would be no media for uh, the initial races in formula 1 that we weren't essential and i guess in a sense a bit like kelly just explained Um, we wouldn't be able to get access, or or that's initially how they saw it. So we would just be sat, you know, you travel, of course here, it would be to a different country, to sit in a press room and still watch it on TV because we don't, you know, seeing as we don't have an oval that you can oversee the whole track, there's plenty that you can't see going on outside the window, even if the press room has a window, because not all race circuits do. Um, It's just a weird quirk that we have here in Europe that is great honest uh so yeah so it, you'd have been watching on the tv screen so in a sense there would be no point uh but slowly the way the situation's improving some of these countries we're looking at going to race uh seem to be in much better positions than others austria for the opening two rounds as it looks like it's going to be um is uh, doing really well actually compared to about well, the uk so uh, they seem a lot more open to that sort of thing being okay to have media attend uh, i think it would be similar in what kelly says in terms of uh, some video conferencing for interviews but um that depends i mean they might say that it can be done socially distant and that we can have you know a driver on a microphone and um media as long as they're two meters apart if there's only four or five of us can be um a little bit further back so there's, there's been some interviews going on um this week with sky the broadcaster over here uh, with zach brown uh, where they were able to go to mclaren's headquarters and do a proper interview with him they just had to keep socially distant so things seem to be slightly uh easing and seeing as we're another two months till we'll probably go racing uh, it might still improve a bit more by then
0: we'll come back kelly and get some more color and insight of this strange new world of motor racing reporting chris tell you i don't know if i expected you to be Blasting out of bed at 2 a.m. or, again, whatever time it was. But uh, your world's been upended a little bit, thanks to one Mr. Sebastian Vettel. And I don't know if this is a breakup. I don't know. You know, I'm not sure how to describe this other than, hmm, usually things aren't this clean cut at Ferrari when decisions are made to go in the proverbial different direction, share if you can some insights on what was leading up to this. Were you hearing rumblings that maybe there could be uh, some sort of uh, split or divorce coming between those two? I know that this, it's not as if this topic hadn't been explored before, but the timing is what really stood out to me as the odd part here during a shutdown in you know not even mid may by this point run us through this scenario because it's had a big knock-on effect throughout the sport
2: yeah i mean to give it a basic full timeline i guess it would have been the end of last year when we're in abu dhabi and um it emerged that lewis had had meetings with ferrari and they started sort of openly flirting with each other through the media and that that told you that okay, Seb is on um, rocky ground here and he's not their first choice because, realistically, if if Lewis said, yeah, I want to join Ferrari and Seb was out of contract, you know, Ferrari went and gave Charles Leclerc a a long-term deal and they would have put Lewis in alongside him. But that obviously didn't look like it was going to happen. But it showed that Ferrari's mind was open to replacing Vettel and sounds like then they lined up potential replacements for him over the winter. Um, What was surprising, I think, was... The only four weeks ago, we did like a conference call with Vettel, where he said uh, he wanted to stay and talked about length of contracts. And he said he's normally done a three-year deal, um, but there was talk then that he wasn't being offered something that was in the ballpark that he was expecting in terms of either length or or money. Uh, and I do think um, he's sincere when he says money wasn't paying a big part, but he wanted you know a longer term bit of security that showed that Ferrari valued him and i don't think that was forthcoming so yeah you're right that it was surprising the timing because i think a lot of people thought okay once factories reopen and we're going to head back racing and you know these negotiations can happen face to face the ball will start rolling but instead it seemed to be because everyone had so much time on their hands more calls were made and decisions were made and yeah i was i was not expecting that monday night for it to kick off so i I actually had not seen it it came out of uh, german media originally um I'm not quite sure how they got their hands on it, but I assume it was because it was going to be the following morning the press release would come out and someone gave a German publication a heads up um, to be awake at a certain time. And they then managed to get in touch with somebody that confirmed it for them. So it was the the middle of the night here that it actually came out and I was fast asleep. I I woke up to all the reports and was like, hang on a minute, something's moving this quickly. Uh, And by the time I got uh, any sort of nod um, from a few sources that said yeah this is legit this is this is going to happen and soon um, I hadn't even had time to open up uh, a word document and the press release dropped at 8am I think it was here in the UK saying he was gone so yeah it, it moved very quickly and then uh, fortunately then that, that made you think right well who's going to replace him and as soon as you started asking questions it was clear uh, it had been going on for a while that Ferrari had been discussing who was going to replace him and that was going to be science McLaren had then been discussing with ricardo and that the the, the will have been in motion for a lot longer than anyone was aware uh so it all came together very quickly but it was it was fun but like you say a little bit unexpected to do it so early because they've all got to go through the season now if we get racing
0: awkward yeah that's the part that just as the guy who loves chaos a little bit that's something that jumped out here right here's a guy what he's won, I think 14 Grand Prix for Ferrari in the five years he's been with them, something along those lines. Uh been, you know, close-ish to a title for them twice. We know that he has been a solid producer, just maybe not the catalyst that they had hoped he would be. I don't know if that's accurate. I'm having to, you know, use far external observations compared to someone like you's in the paddock talking to everybody. Um, Interesting to get your thoughts, Chris on breakdown. Is that the right way to put it? This seems like a divorce that's coming, not based on their inability to win races, but maybe something in the realm of a lack of true connection somewhere that leads someone to believe they can be champions and they can get the most out of each other to achieve ultimate success. Is that over baking things a bit? I don't know.
2: It's a weird one because I I think it's partly driven um, and not no small part either by the emergence of Leclerc and how impressive he was last year. Not only uh, his performance, but his improvement rate since he's joined formula one has been really, really strong. And he actually struggled in his first couple of races for Alfa Romeo. And then by the end of the year, he'd convinced Ferrari to take him on. And then he'd still make a few mistakes in certain races uh, early on. And and again, by the end of the season, he was regularly outperforming Vettel. So I think Ferrari then saw, okay, we have a guy here and he's our guy and he's young, um, who is our future. And there was needle between him and Vettel that not in terms of a lack of respect between them or they could have worked together, but they'd had their incidents because... Vettel still wanted to be the number one there, completely understandably. And certainly wasn't going to shrink into a number two role, and I think that was the point where Ferrari thought actually it might be better that this partnership doesn't go on too long. Uh, we need something else that yeah. You know, maybe they hadn't really planned for it to to explode as quickly as it had. Maybe they thought the clerk would take a few more years to get to the level where he could kind of um, start to carry the torch. So uh, it just hurried up Vettel's departure, where maybe he would have normally got a couple more years. Uh, and then Ferrari have noticed that they do need to do some rebuilding, especially in this era, um, the way that we're going to have budget caps and this, col- this whole kind of situation that's been brought up from um, COVID-19 means they're actually going to have to sort of downsize the team a little bit uh, more than likely. So there's going to be a lot of change. And I think Ferrari are taking a longer term view that they're not going to be, or it's less likely they're going to be winning the title anytime soon. So, what do you do? Do you have a frustrated four-time world champion who's in his mid-30s there and potentially causing trouble? Or or do you start again with two fresh young talents and, and they've gone for the latter? So, um, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a perfect storm for Vettel that, that led to him being pushed out. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how he handles it this year because he's still clearly capable of winning races and he showed last year he's more than capable of ignoring team orders as well to make sure he wins them um, and to stamp his authority on the team still. So I imagine that won't change. Um, if anything, maybe he'll he'll become a little bit more difficult to manage. But um, I, I still think, realistically, that um, he he was showing those colours anyway last year because he he wasn't willing to let go of that team leader role. So that that won't change too much.
0: I wrote something for Roden and Track at their request on this. That'll change, and just mentioned how after two relatively stormy team leaders in a row that being alonzo then vettel the idea of having a less combustible type in leclerc and also my suggestion was a danny ricardo but uh, they ultimately went with carlos Sainz jr nonetheless i do like the idea of ferrari having a little bit less nitro waiting to explode uh, personality wise within its driver ranks thinking that at least for what they've done for a long time. Now that formula of the mercurial star, a little bit tempestuous hasn't delivered what they have been seeking. Maybe a slightly different uh, composition in terms of personalities will get them where they want to. We know the talent is there. Lack of talents never been the issue. Just always been something weird in the composition of the team Uh, in terms of personalities, who's pushing, who's pulling, uh, who's pulling out knives, etc. We'll come back to some more on this on the F1 topic, Chris. Kelly, what comes to mind from the competition that took place at Darlington on Sunday, the actual racing itself, and also some of the results? Obviously, a good result for Harvick. Alex Bowman, I think, was a really nice... I don't want to say surprise, just affirmation that uh, some of the pace and the win that he delivered before the shutdown, that wasn't a fluke. We have Matt Kenseth coming back as well, running strong. I know in the early part of the race, uh, definitely, I would say, feels like he had a quality result considering all the time off. What jumps out from just the most basic thing we got back? Cars on track racing that aren't ones and zeros in virtual
1: I think it goes back to what I said earlier, which is, at the end of the day, racing was still racing. The the race, to me, looked like a typical Cup Series race. You had guys up front that were of no surprise. The Hendrick cars have been very quick to start the year. Uh, You know, two of the four made a mistake, which, um, you know, to see Jimmy Johnson make mistakes is rare. But it's kind of the story of what's happened to him the last couple of years, which is, you know, oh, my gosh, just... You know nothing can go right, even when it's going right. Um, You know Kevin Harvick being good at Darlington is not a surprise at all. You you know Matt Matt Kenseth coming back and and finishing top ten. I can't say it's a surprise. I think what was interesting to hear from him was when he spoke to us yesterday on a on a conference uh, video conference. Is he said that the Arrow package now. Because remember, he's now in this new high downforce package for the first time that we've changed, um, you know, with more drag and the bigger spoilers and whatnot. That uh, that's not what he was driving when he was last in the series a couple years ago is that um, it's easier to drive and it's easier when it comes to what adjustments to make and things of that nature. So if that's the case, that may help him get even more up to speed and fair and and quicker uh, with the 42 Ganassi team. So I thought that was interesting to hear from him. But again, I I thought, you know, racing, it was the same. It was the same guys up front, you know, to see Tyler Reddick in the top 10. I personally was not surprised. You know, um, Tyler is a guy with a racetrack like that. That is where he's going to excel when you can get the car up against the wall and you have to Rip the top, as we say, and it's all about momentum and finding that edge. Those are the racetracks that Tyler Reddick is notoriously good at, and those are the tracks that he used to his advantage in the Xfinity Series to win back-to-back championships. So, it was not at all surprised to see that Ryan Newman appeared no worse for the wear in his return from uh, from the for the first time since his accident in the Daytona 500. Ryan Newman looked every bit like Ryan Newman. He was hard to pass. He was up on the wheel he had that car inside the top 15 ran it inside the top 10 at one point he just continues to put that team and put that car on his back and he sounded the same over the radio very focused uh you know what he wanted with the car what was going on so there wasn't anything honestly that surprised me about sunday it was we dropped the green flag and the guys that are good rose to the occasion you know even without practice and qualifying i mean it's like Joey Logano told me the other week, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible. The guys that are top 10, top 15 drivers in the Cup Series, they adapt pretty quickly. And even with a very clean racetrack, once they got through and they started finding that rhythm, it was on from there. And the pace just started picking up and uh, they were flying around that racetrack. So I can't say that there was anything out of the norm. And that's a good thing because racing looked like racing. And I thought it was a good race. I thought it was a decent race by Darlington standards. And um, for for people to have something to watch and feel a sense of normalcy, I think you got that with what we had at Darlington.
0: There are two other quick things that jumped out, Kelly. One, although the drivers looked ready, I mean, barring the opening lap crash, which wasn't a total surprise, I think, if we had gone... Green and totally clean for a good long while, that might have been the big surprise. But the amount of pit lane violations that you wrote about afterwards seemed like uh I don't it wasn't half the field, but it felt like half the field uh didn't get all their lug nuts tight and were penalized. So it seems like maybe the bigger number of getting back in the groove and making a few mistakes and, and whatnot. Might have fallen more during the pit lane exchanges than the straight-up on-track portion. The other thing that jumped out, which was the thing I believe everyone was hoping for, not just in NASCAR, but racing in general, boy, pretty darn big Nielsen rating number was put up. Share some thoughts about those two things, both those that were maybe ready and not quite ready to get back to the normal groove, and also a really happy number showing that folks couldn't wait to see real racing return.
1: Well, I think in the first thing, when you talk about pit stops, I I didn't really think too much into that because there was a lot of pit stops at Darlington. So I think it's kind of just a coincidence that the last one of the day, there was six of them that got busted for lug nuts. Um, you know, but at the same time, if you were looking to make an argument, you could say that, you know, yeah, you're, you're shaking the rust off for sure. You have to remember that not only are our drivers sitting at home during this break, but teams have, were not in their race shop. And that means pit crews couldn't do pit practice. So they're also, you know, jumping right back into things and probably only had a couple days or maybe a week at the most to get back into that rhythm. And there's a lot to be said about rhythm, there's a lot to be said about being race day ready. So, um, yeah, maybe there is an argument for that, but I, again, I, I personally just think it was a coincidence that the last stop of the day, you know, so many of them had it cause there was, there was multiple, multiple pit stops during a Sunday's race as for the number, you know, that's an interesting thing. And, and I'd be here, I'd be curious to hear your, both of your thoughts on it, because for me, maybe I'm just too in the weeds on it over here being that it's, it's the sport that I cover. I thought pulling in 6, what was it, 6.3 or whatever it was, the number 6.3 million viewers is certainly good. Very, very pleased that we had uh, millions of people watching NASCAR to be one of the first live sports back on network television to, for fans to have something to watch. Hopefully new fans were watching, hopefully people who just wanted something to watch. Had tuned in. I'm not going to turn my nose up at that number. I thought it was great. But at the same time, I was also a little disappointed. And I don't know if it was because I was one of those that had too high of expectations of what that number could be. Because for weeks, you had been hearing NASCAR and Fox and the drivers, everybody talking about how this is going to be the number one show in town. And everybody was so excited to have that opportunity. So the number was a little disappointing as well, but maybe, again, it's just because my expectations were higher than they should have been just listening to the hype around that race. But again, I think a 6.3 or 6.2 million, whatever it was, is is phenomenal, and it was certainly one of the most watched races we've had in the last couple of years. So uh, that's awesome. That is that is very, very good.
0: Only thing that jumped out for me and. In- I know Chris, in his spare time, keeps a spreadsheet of NASCAR television ratings, so maybe you can dig into that for us and do some great analysis, Chris. Uh, but kidding aside, the only thing that really jumped out for me, Kelly, was the NASCAR rating number uh, that had become somewhat normal was 1.1, 1.2, 1. something. Uh, maybe this is last season mostly coming to mind, but you know, being able to put up a pretty big number, like this was very impressive and also if we just talk the number of viewers being i think more than double than uh, the darlington race last year as it aired i thought that was a pretty healthy number knowing that nascar's popularity you know has been trending downward not saying doom and gloom just it's not at the crazy peak it once was i thought it represented something very positive in that Not just NASCAR diehard fans tuned in. That is what the number said to me. Because like IndyCar, it has a number. That number we assume is pretty much settled upon the hardcore fans. There's really not much of a layer of general folks flipping through the dials and saying, oh, I found this. I'm going to stay here. I'd say if you just look at the volume, it probably suggests that there are a lot of folks who Hadn't watched NASCAR before, but wanted to watch live sports. Maybe they're lapsed NASCAR fans who are thrilled to have something back to watch, and maybe they'll stay. No, there's a lot of assumption in there, but at least, how's this, if it was similar to last year's number at Darlington, that would have been a very, very sad thing. The fact that it wasn't, or anything even close to last year's, uh, that to me stood out as a pretty optimistic thing. Chris, let's jump back to your world, and if I have it correct, Sebastian Vettel's leaving Ferrari, Carlos Sainz is leaving McLaren, Danny Ricardo is leaving Renault, Jensen Button was probably going to be in an Aero McLaren SP IndyCar here, and... Zach Brown thinks that Fernando Alonso should go back to Renault and Ferrari says it's considering IndyCar. I don't yeah, know how your fingers it. haven't fallen off in the past five days or whatever it is. I feel for you, brother. There is so much insanity going on in your world. I don't know where to start among those various things I mentioned, but man, uh, I, boy, what's going on?
2: Well, firstly, uh, I can confirm uh, five viewers uh, in southwest London for the Darlington race uh, in the UK, just keeping that spreadsheet for you. Uh, I was part of a watch party. Uh, We had Zoom up and we were watching it over here. So, um, yeah, definitely got more people into it, I think, uh, just because it was live sport. Uh, But yeah, back to the F1 side of things, it was some of it is just bonkers. Uh, I mean, I'm not holding my breath, and I'm sure people can pull me up on this if I'm wrong, but I'm not holding my breath that we're going to see Ferrari in IndyCar. Uh, that, that's the sort of thing that um, gets trotted out quite regularly from Ferrari, something along those lines, or a quick threat from F1, or the fact they're going to do the WEC, just to put pressure on when big decisions are being made with F1 rules. And that's exactly what's happening now. Um, and as cool as it would be to see Ferrari do IndyCar, the reason they're saying that is because they're then... They're not threatening to leave F1, but they're threatening F1 that it will no longer be the place where they are exclusively running a works program, at, you know, on an international top level. Um, so hold on, yeah, it was, are
0: you are you saying this is political posturing? How dare uh, you suggest such a thing, Chris? Good lord,
2: I I don't know where I pick up on it from. I'm, I'm a cynical guy, but um, <laughs> yeah, so it's there's there's those sorts of things you ought to take a pinch of salt. Others though. It uh, could be pretty exciting. I mean, uh, Zach Brown was directly asked about Fernando going back to Renault because obviously he has a tight relationship with him. And the thing is, I've actually been in the kind of camp that says Fernando's time is done. Um, he should be doing other stuff. He's doing lots of other cool things and it's entertaining to see. Um, there's not the F1 seat to get him winning races. So he should kind of write F1 off. But if he's going to come back, I actually think the Renault seat is the one that makes sense. It's a team he's been at before and has a good relationship with still. It's where he won his two world titles. It needs a win as a team because they've lost Daniel Ricciardo. Clearly weren't happy about that with the kind of swipe they had at him as, um, as it was announced that he was going to McLaren. And so from a PR perspective, bringing it along to him would be great. And realistically, if it's not, he can't get a top three team seat. So McLaren are now tied up. The only other team that looks like it's going to threaten. Um, I'm, I'm not counting Aston Martin slash Racing Point because there's so many unknowns there and a long way to go for that team to uh, get up to speed. But uh, for Renault, is the other works team on the grid that when we have new regulations, which will come in with a budget cap, is going to be one of the better placed teams to threaten the top three. So if he's going to come back and if he's going to have a chance of getting back in the mix at the front, then Renault's the only realistic option. Uh, and he'd have to take that seat now because there's no guarantee he'd get next year. So... Um, Yeah, I can actually see that making sense, and I I believe he's had some chats uh, with Renault, but Renault are also keen to promote from their Young Driver program. They've got some good talents there, but they've got some that make a lot of marketing sense as well. Uh, Guan Yu Zhou would be the first Chinese driver in F1, and that would come with huge interest. So it's not not guaranteed by any stretch, but I can see that one making sense. Uh, It was a shame about JB, like you said, uh, the way he was getting lined up for things, but I also don't think it's... A closed door there. You know, stuff that maybe is building momentum for this year now is on the back burner slightly. But um, I I don't think it'll end uh, the the chances of some really cool guest drives. um, With, um, we're not allowed to call them spam, are we? I got told off for that.
0: We we can absolutely call them spam. We don't work for them.
2: uh, (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, I I could I could see stuff still rumbling on there. And yeah, driver the driver moves all hopped around. Carlos went to Ferrari. Very happy, but also still great relationship with McLaren. That was all amicable. Looks lovely. Daniel goes to McLaren, uh, which again is a very smart move for McLaren and a good one for Daniel, given what was on the table. What do you think the Ferrari drive?
0: What do you think he's going to bring there that they do not currently have?
2: Well, um, a, a pair of hands and a pair of feet, because they. They no longer have Carlos Sainz for next year, so they need a replacement. Um, essentially, they they what what he's doing is um, going to fill the gap really nicely in terms of if you're going to lose Sainz, which they are, um, then you want to maintain the momentum that you had with Carlos and Carlos and Lando fit together. Well, there's a really great positive atmosphere. Now you could risk it by saying, right, we could bring Fernando back because we're more competitive now, or we can attract Sebastian because he's a four time world champion. And yes, they're great drivers and massive names, but they change the dynamic within the team. And the, the dynamic they have at the moment works very well. So Daniel continues that, but to me is a slight upgrade. You know, he's, he's won seven races. He's, challenged loosely for a championship or two when he was at Red Bull, but he does know what the pressure's like at the front there. Um, Marketing-wise, he's brilliant, and he's just going to... You, you don't see him causing trouble with Lando. You, you see that partnership working well. They already get on well. So I think it just continues the momentum McLaren had, and it would have been easy for them to be derailed slightly by losing one of their two drivers when they didn't really want to, but to replace them with someone like Daniel, I, th- I think was a really smart move.
0: Any thoughts, Chris, on how young Lando Calrissian will handle someone of Danny's, I don't know if I should say caliber, but reputation. And by reputation, I mean, we're going from a dynamic where Carlos obviously finished six in the championship last year. Very well done. Two of them though fit a nice young driver dynamic, one obviously having more experience than the other, but still young guns, young pups rising up at the same time. You think the dynamic Lando might experience with Danny far more established than Carlos? As you mentioned, someone who's been the tip of the spear for more than one team already. How do you think Lando might deal with someone who's coming in with more of a number one driver uh, feeling or, or establishment? than, say, the co-equal status he and Carlos seem to enjoy.
2: In a weird way, I think if we get racing this year, it's actually going to work out quite well because it, again, takes the pressure off Lando. Whereas last year, he was a rookie, so the pressure was off in that sense. And, okay, Carlos was new to the team, but he was more experienced, was expected to outperform Lando, but Lando outqualified him, would have had many more points, but for uh, reliability issues. So... He very close and didn't seem to get too annoyed that he was beaten by his teammate because it was, in a sense, expected, but he showed all the performance level he needed to that said, bright future, right driver to have in the car. Then, if you go into Season 2 with the same pairing, you've got Lando expected to get that bit closer and them to really maybe... Um, scrap it out a bit more and, and almost try and mark out who's number one and who's number two. So they don't have that problem now because Carlos is leaving and going on to Ferrari so they can keep that amicable. But secondly, then a, ra- a proven race when it comes in alongside him. And again, he's Lando's not going to be expected to be at the exact same level as Daniel, but I'd imagine he'll be very close. And again, that just takes the pressure off him a bit. So uh, hopefully it means he can still be himself and um, keep that kind of relaxed demeanor that he has. I think McLaren will have trouble with the two of them um causing mischief but sometimes almost over egging it it's going to be expected now that these are the two hilarious drivers that are always in a good mood um they're always messing around and then deliver on track and if they have bad days and, and don't want to fulfill that role um then they're fully entitled to but people will start to expect it of them so it can be quite draining so uh landor will need to find find his own kind of space for that um but i think the fact that again daniel's coming 21 rather than 20 there's going to be another year of growth um another year of confidence behind Norris. I I think they should be okay there. And uh, I don't think Norris kind of fears for his future with that team because he was so heavily backed by Zach and by McLaren all the way up that in a bit of the way that the clerk has gone well at Ferrari and will feel the whole support of the team behind him. I think Lando will feel the same at McLaren, even with Daniel there.
0: Kelly, let's go back to you with one item to close on your side. So we have coronavirus 500 in the books we got the first weird shutdown era nascar race in the books what do you think your next couple of weeks will be like as the volume and pace increases for nascar events are you in a situation of waiting to learn whether you will be back on the rotation and chosen to turn up at you know cup race x get into that press box and do your thing again. Uh, when do you know when you'll know whether you'll need to actually be at home watching on television, reporting remotely in that capacity? What do you think the next couple of weeks will be like?
1: Busy, <laughs> busy. I, I did the math today, actually, and it's going to be 19 races, I believe, over the next 36 days, if I counted it all right. So, it's going to be busy from that perspective, from a content perspective. Uh, as I told you guys, when we were trying to figure out when we could record, you know, interviews and things were just popping up every minute, it seems for me. Uh, as far as being at the racetrack, I will be, I am back home already. So I did Sunday at Darlington. Um, as I said, we're trying to rotate as many reporters in and out of these races who want to be at the racetrack. So I will not be at the Tuesday night or Wednesday night race. Um, the NMPA is currently making the schedule for Charlotte, so it looks like I might be in the rotation for the Wednesday Cup Series race at Charlotte. So one week from now, we'll probably be back at the racetrack, and then from there, uh, I don't know. Um, you know, in one sense, it's it, it's almost easier to work from home with this setup because again, you're doing everything remotely, so you can have all your monitors and. Televisions and and all that set up and jump from one zoom conference and teleconference to the next but if the opportunity to, arises to stay in the rotation for when we start looking at a martinsville a you know, wednesday night martinsville race that's easy for me to drive to i i might uh throw my hand in the air for that you know a place like uh, bristol that has a wonderful press box to be able to see everything that's another racetrack that uh it would make sense to want to be there to see it live but I'm honestly just taking it one race at a time because again we're trying to cycle people in and and I want to make sure that we're um, as a member of the board I want to make sure that I'm doing my part to get as many people in there as possible and at the same time you know again understand that I can work from home so um, it'll be interesting as far as being at the racetrack because again you're not getting anything unique you're not getting anything different than what other people are going to get Um, you do get to see the race live, which is, of course, awesome and gets you out of the four walls of your house or apartment since being in quarantine. So it'll be busy. Like I said, it'll be busy from a content perspective, Uh, you know, just talking to different people, staying on top of the storylines and not having practice or qualifying, which is also going to be what takes place going into June. No practice or no qualifying before these races always makes things interesting. So it'll be busy and Again, if I could be at the racetrack, we'll see. Uh, but I'm probably going to try to pick and choose the places that I'm going to be at, and we'll see how long this kind of new normal, I guess, is, is the right way to say it, how, how long it lasts.
0: Mr. Medland, share some insights on what you predict the next week or two might be like for you, knowing that although the 2020 Formula One season is something that we're still waiting to see take off and start and be run. We have a guy by the name of Vettel who doesn't know where he'll be driving come 21. Uh, We have some questions about whether Carlos Sainz will be a true rival to Charles Leclerc or whether he'll pan out to be a safe number two. And um, there could be some other movements within the paddock. What are we dealing with here? Is this just a weird flare up uh, of silly season in the middle of May or do you think maybe more of this is going to continue and this is just happening now instead of organically like it normally does halfway through or towards the end of the season?
2: No, I'm predicting this is going to be a quieter week than the last one. Um, I think that Vettel will probably be uh, finalizing what he wants to do as it stands, Um, but I don't think in terms of race seats anywhere there's going to be a huge rush. Um, I don't. Uh, yeah, Mercedes will wait for Lewis Hamilton uh, to make a decision and to talk to him, so they don't fear fear losing him in a sense now because he's not going to go to Ferrari and he's not going to go to Red Bull, so uh, I think they will be confident that they don't need to rush that uh, driver lineup decision. Toto Wolf actually said at the weekend that if you make that call too early, uh, what do you do then with a driver that you're going to get rid of at the end of the year when it comes to car development and sharing secrets and stuff? It can make it very difficult, so um, he, he can't. He said he can't envisage a situation where he has to run a whole season with a driver he might not be keeping, um, or who's or actually made that decision already. So I don't see a huge amount of movement yet. Renault realistically uh, are the next most attractive seat, and again can wait because more people are going to want their seat than they're going to need to jump on now. But yeah, they they got jumped by Ferrari and McLaren, so uh, they just kind of have to. Um, see what else is out there, and that they've got time, they don't need to rush that one either. So, I don't think the driver market's gonna um, keep moving quite so quickly. I think all the focus will be on how we restart racing in Formula One because we're getting to this stage now where different countries in Europe where we're gonna start the season uh, are all at different stages of opening up in terms of uh, movement of people and events that can happen and things like that. And uh, it, just today, it, it went from uh, a pretty solid plan of. Uh, Two races in Austria at the start of July, followed by two at Silverstone at the end of July, start of August, uh, to having to switch Silverstone out for probably Germany and Hockenheim because of quarantine rules in the UK that the government say they're not going to um, have sport as an exemption for, which is a bit strange because what we've always now going to be introduced over here for anyone who doesn't know is that anyone arriving on a flight, I believe from the 1st of June, will be forced to quarantine for 14 days and that's something that a lot of countries had in place immediately as soon as this whole pandemic started because you didn't know if someone was ill or not, so you needed to take these precautions. But one, we're a lot further down the line now. There's a lot more testing going on. And two, for these sports, they're committing to doing such stringent testing and flying privately, traveling privately, that they essentially are going to prove that everyone does not have the virus and is clean. So shouldn't be then forced to... Quarantine in case they do have it because they know they don't have it. Um, but the government just seemed to be uh, pushing back on that and saying they're not going to allow that to happen. Uh, so silverson's going to drop off if that's the case, and we're going to end up with um, with the race to Germany instead because they they've started their um, domestic soccer league uh, just last weekend and it seemed to go okay. Uh, we'll see how that pans out. Can't make a full dis- full judgment on it yet. But uh, like I said, Austria is opening up. Germany is then just across the border, nice, easy uh, race to head too. So it's going to be about putting together a calendar and seeing which countries are going to be willing to host races. And if we can just get those first few set and confirmed, then the confidence they're showing will hopefully convince others. So I think that's where all my chasing is going to be, is trying to speak to different race promoters and different people within F1 to see uh, when we're starting. And then I'll worry about myself and whether I'm going... attend any or if I've got to wait and watch it on TV
0: need to start covering NASCAR races man I'm telling you
2: well I think the one uh, tomorrow night is gonna be on at like 3 or 4 a.m. here Um, and I'm not convinced that my girlfriend would be delighted if I get up to watch that one um, for a full working day but I might give it a go
0: that's what we love about you Snoop Medley Med Kelly Crandall thank you for taking us inside a rather bizarre event chris as well thank you for getting temporary carpal tunnel syndrome from knocking out about twenty thousand words in a very short period of time i really don't have much to say about my world of indycar and imsa yet so when i do we'll talk about that but for now thanks everyone for tuning in to our little marshall proof podcast and our racers reporter roundtable brought to you by cooper tires and the justice brothers